It's, um, like I said, it's really good to have you all here. Um, I, uh, I really, really value uh, deeply. I think one of the greatest gifts God gives is um, the church and the community of faith, uh, people who um, band together and uh, try to honor him and live his way in the midst of um, what seems to be a, uh, an increasingly apostate, anti-Christian culture. And it's good to be here with you. So thank you for being with us, and I just pray that you're blessed today. If you've been with us uh, for a couple weeks, you know that we're, um, we're getting ready for our summer series. Summer series is going to be uh, f- uh, a new look at the old book. Going to take some of the, uh, the stories from the Old Testament that maybe we think we know, uh, but don't. So if you're a person who's maybe not churched or you're not uh, used to church, these are the stories that, that you've, you've heard. You, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. Okay, sure, I, I've heard about that. Um, and so it, it'll be an opportunity to kind of find out what the Bible actually says about some of these things. Um, and if you're, you've been in the pews for a long time and you, you're like, I'm an expert at everything, um, Bible, in fact, I shouldn't even be here, I should be teaching right now, just get down, I'll take care of this, that's cool, um, this will be boring for you, but it might not, it might not, maybe there'll be uh, something interesting or some new ways, fresh ways of looking at texts uh, to see what God's truth uh, is for us now. In the meantime, we've been uh, looking at Israel's praise uh, that is, we've been looking at Israel's hymn book, their psalm book of the Psalms, and seeing the, the, how, what, what their worship looked like in the, in, in the ancient world. And we've noticed that it's very different oftentimes from our worship. Uh, we've noticed that uh, the Israelites were interested in throwing God a party. That was a couple weeks back. Uh, and instead of like sitting in pews listening to someone drone on and on and on, the Israelites were like jumping around and like, and like banging things and having uh, barbecues and, and having an awesome time. Worship was something really interactive and fun. Um, and so we've actually been making that a, a priority for the church. When we have events together, there are parties for God uh, where we can just say, God, you're awesome and let's, let's hang out. Uh, we saw that um, worship can be actually uh, really dark. We had a, a sermon on dark worship. Worship that's, um, that actually involves even some of our deepest and darkest emotions. Hatred, violence, things like that. That the Psalms are, are very, very open about that. Uh, we, we talked about what kind of person God looks for in a, in a prayer. Somebody who's loyal. Today, uh, I want to talk about um, what, who exactly it is that we're, that we're praying to. So you might be uh, the sort of person who's not, um, church is kind of weird for you, or maybe you're like, you've been in church, but you're, you're, um, you're not like a huge prayer, prayer person. Prayer is a little awkward for you. It's a little weird. Um, and, and one of the things I, I hope that we'll do is that, that we'll think about who, who that is up there. Have that set in the back of your mind. What kind of God do the Psalms assume God is? What's he like? Um, just exactly who are we talking to? This might be, uh, so, so if you're new to faith or you're, you're interested in faith, this might help you when you're thinking about trying to pray to this God. If you've been in a, a person of faith for a long time, maybe your image, what you're thinking about, when you're thinking about who God is, is off. Maybe it's not in keeping with what the Psalms say God is like. Maybe you've created um, an image of God that's, that's not the real thing, and maybe you need to be re-established. Um, if those, th- those are, so so just, just bear with me. Where I'm going to explain Psalm 90. It's one of my favorite psalms. I'm going to explain the background, what's going on, walk you through it. But the whole time, I want you to have in the back of your mind, who does Moses think he's talking to? This is a psalm of Moses, um, as we'll see. 
And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. So uh, let's, let's look at this text. Uh, this is um, my translation, heavily uh, influenced by um, a couple other translations. But um, there are some places where I, I really go off uh, from what you might get from older translations, and I'll explain that. Uh, but let's, let's read this together. Um, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our shelter generation after generation. Before the mountains were born, before you birthed the earth and the inhabited world, from forever in the past to forever in the future, you are God. You return us to dust saying, go back, children of Adam. Because God, in your perspective, a thousand years are like a day that has just passed. Like a few hours awake during the night. You sweep humans away in sleep. Though in the morning we are like grass that grows fresh. In the morning that grass can thrive, it can be renewed but by evening it dries up and withers. Yes, God, we are wasting away because of your anger. We're worn out by your rage. You put our sins right in front of you, our youthful mistakes, the mistakes of the sins of the past in the light of your face. Because all our days have passed away in your wrath, we end our our years like a sigh. We live to be 70 years old, and if with strength, maybe 80 But all along they are trouble and toil because they pass by so quickly and then we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger or could live in proper awe of your wrath. As we count our days, show us how to have that knowledge and awe so we can gain a wise heart. Come back, Yahweh. How long until you do? Have compassion on your servants. Fill us in the morning with your faithful love. I promise you we will shout with joy and celebrate our whole life long. Make us happy for the same amount of time that you afflicted us, for the same number of years that we saw only trouble. Let your acts, your mighty acts, be seen by your servants. Let your glory be seen by their descendants. May the beauty of the Lord our God come upon us. Make the works of our, of our hands prosper. Yes, make the work of our hands last. It, uh, it starts out... Um, it starts out so interesting. Um, it, it, the first thing you have to notice about this psalm, is what makes it very different from most of the prayers in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is how focused it is on time. Time, time, time. Notice uh, generation after generation, right? Before the mountains were born. Uh, think about the God that, that's being described here. This is the God who's been the God of Israel uh, from a long time before and will be for a long time after. God, this God was there before the mountains were born. That, that language is actually really interesting. It's, it's, uh, it's using birthing language, like mother laboring language, to describe the, the, the creation of the world. Um, and and uh, presumably what's going on there is, the, is Moses is recognizing that everything around us has its source, its origin in God. God is the, the source, the fountain of everything that we see, every, every, every bit of the earth. And yet, God was around before any of that happened. And that stuff's really old. Right? The mountains are super old. They've been around for generations and generations. God created them. God was there before them. From forever in the past to forever in the future, you are God. Other translations, everlasting to everlasting. The point is, God, you've been everywhere. And isn't that good news? Right? That should strike us immediately, we think, as that, that's great news. We can trust that this God is a God who's been there. He's faithful. He's been around. But wait, there might be a flip side to that. It, it might, there might be something difficult about that. Uh, we go on with Moses. Oh, 
yeah, you, you're around for a long time, but wait, <laughs> we're not. You return us to the dust. Go back, children of Adam. That word Adam is, in Hebrew, Adam or Adam is the same word as man. Um, and I think that what, what Moses is pointing out here is like, everybody who comes from Adam, everyone who, who is, is a human being, uh, it has the same problems that Adam has. Namely, you start from dust, you end in dust. But think about from God's perspective. God's like seeing human beings come out of the dust, go back to the dust, out of the dust, come back to the dust. For him, that's a thousand years are like a day that has just passed for you, God. Like a watch in the night. Uh, the watch in the night. You know, in the ancient world, they had to have guards at night. And you would, you know, you'd get up and you'd, you'd stay awake for two, maybe three hours. And the whole time you're bored out of your mind. And you're just waiting for that moment you can get right back to sleep. That's what our lives are like for God. That's what a thousand years is like for God. Like, ho hum, another thousand years, please. Eh. Wait, this isn't starting to sound good. This is starting to sound like a problem. If this is God. Because there's a difference now between God and us. Well, oh, you sweep humans away while they sleep. Right? Uh, it's, uh, the, the image is, it's, it's hard to translate. I, this is my best guess at it. But the idea being that um, human beings, you know, every day, a whole bunch of human beings will go to sleep. And they will not wake up in the morning. Right? And the idea is, is like, it's like they're, they're, you know, almost like crowd control. It's a little bit harsh, but human beings are being pushed aside day in, day out. And then uh, in the morning, uh, you can imagine that then there's a whole bunch of babies who come along, right? And, and they're, like, they're like fresh grass. Imagine um, a, a, a lawn in the summer, and it, it's, it's really hot, and so there's parts of the, lawn, of the lawn that are lush and green, right? Some shoots that are coming up, but there are other parts that are getting increasingly brown as, they, as they're dried out and they're cracked. That's what human life is like. In the morning, it comes up fresh, it's renewed. By evening, uh, after the heat of the day, it's, it's cracked and broken and brown and withers. That's cheery. Cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, anyone here have Disneyland passes? Disneyland, oh. Okay, you, now you can see who's wealthy. Okay. <laughs> uh, Interesting, um, interesting fact about Disneyland. So, if you have a Disneyland pass, and I've had these in the past, and I think probably the best that I've ever done is maybe something like, uh, I don't know, like maybe 20 times in a year, something like that. Um, it's interesting. I, I, so if I look back at the years that I had Disneyland passes, and if you asked me to describe anything that happened at Disneyland, I'd be like, I don't know, it was a blur. It went, went by like that. However, if you ask me, the first time I went to Disneyland without my parents, when I was in high school, I can give you a step-by-step, blow-by-blow of how awesome that day was. <laughs> it's crystallized. Right? Um, Ma, can you fast forward to that, the, uh, the, the picture? Yeah. This is, this is because um, what scientists have found out, they, they, they've done a lot of studies on, on memory and brains and, and how, the, how it works. And uh, what we've noticed, you're any, anybody here who's you know, over the age of 18 notices that, well, maybe more like late 20s, you start to notice that life starts to go faster the older that you get. Um, and, and each year that goes by uh, is quicker and quicker than the one before it. There's a reason for this. It's not that time is actually moving faster. It's the way that we form memories. 
Um, our brains are designed to make memories, use a lot of resources to make memories out of things that are new and exciting, right? New and exciting. So when something new and exciting happens, our brain puts really close attention and it gets locked in there. Then when something is like kind of boring, ho-hum, it just kind of passes over it. And so this is why if you have a Disneyland pass, you can't tell what you did at Disneyland for an entire year. But everybody remembers their very first trip to Disneyland because it was so exciting and fresh and new. And now think about that. That first time you were at Disneyland, that was an exciting trip. And so it seems like it was really long. It was exciting. And then all these other trips to Disneyland are like, "Eh, eh." there was a lot of traffic. I hated it. Uh, I don't even know what rides we went on. Did we go on rides? There's a parade probably. Toy Story. I don't know. That's, that's what, what starts to happen because our brain doesn't, our mind does not, pick, and so it starts to feel like the older we get that, that things are moving faster because when we're remembering things, there's not much interesting to remember. We don't, we've, we've lost a lot of memories. And, and so, you know, when you're five years old, everything's awesome. And so you remember a lot of stuff. When you're 37, dude, let's go back, take a nap. What's the point? I mean, every day is pretty much the same. It's like, maybe we can go to Outback Steakhouse tonight. Really change it up. What, what, um, what, what Moses is noticing is he's, he's, he's saying to God, he's like, God, look. You, for you, like, this is all old hat. Like, you've seen human come, humans come and go, blah, blah, blah. To you, God, it's like you have a Disneyland pass and you go, like, every day. And you're bored out of your mind. Here's the thing, though, God. For us, for human beings, it's like we're that family from Wisconsin that's never seen ocean water. That's desperate one day to have a family trip for 10 days to the Magic Kingdom. And that family saves up and saves up and saves up. And so one July, they fly out and they stay in the Grand Californian Hotel and they go every single, they get there, they have like the, I think it's like an early pass where you you can wake up early and go into the park early. It's like, no way, man. I don't get there until 3 p.m.'s earliest. I show up to Disneyland. No chance. But, but the, the family of Wisconsin, they're, they're super stoked. They go every day. They meet, get to meet the, 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 characters or whatever, and they have a special meal at the whatever place, and, and everything is crystallized. It's so precious. And it's like, it's like, oh, I need, God, that's what being a human being is like. That's what our lives are like. You, it's old hat, you're bored, whatever, one generation comes, next one comes. But for us, it's all like, it, we get one shot. And we really want that stay at Disneyland to be awesome. Um, the first thing in your note sheets, is that uh, Moses assumes that because God is forever, he might not understand how time is so cruel to us. Think about this. Uh, Moses is saying, hey, God, you may not get this, right? Because you're so awesome and great, because you're so long and everlasting, you may not understand this thing about us, which is interesting. It might sound a little blasphemous if you think that, you know, we should never, but, but that's what he's, he's saying. He's saying, hey, you, you don't know how it feels, man. Let's go back to the text. Yes, we are wasting away because of your anger and worn out by your rage. Uh, think, think of all the, the ways that the language is, is, is talking about how, how much suffering, how long suffering is going on. It's like we've been, we've been really wrecked for a long time, God. 
We're wasting away because of your anger. We're worn out by your rage. Uh, that, that thing there, um, our sins are in front of you, our youthful mistakes in the light of your face. Older translations will say uh, your, our secret sins. Um, the weird thing about Hebrew is that uh, in, in the Bible, the original, the old texts, they don't have vowels. So um, when you're reading in Hebrew, there's only consonants. And you, we actually supply the vowels later. There are two words that have the same consonants but different vowels. One is secret. The other is youthful. Um, I, I, I think, and we have good reason to believe this, some of our uh, early Aramaic translations of the Old Testament read this way. And so I think it's, it's good. And I think it actually fits more with the entire, uh, the, the way that the, the psalm is working. And so instead of saying uh, our secret sins are before you, I think it's our youthful sins, the sins we made when we were young. A long time ago, God, back, you know, 30, 40 years ago, we did this thing, right? But you're still focused on it. You're still looking at it. You're still grinding us down for the mistake we made 30, 40 years ago. God, you don't get it. You're a thousand years a day to you. We live to be 70 years old, maybe 80 if we're strong. And guess what it's been like for us? It's been toil and trouble, misery. Why? Because the same thing over and over. We're suffering, 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 and that becomes almost boring, and then we'd fly away, we die. Um, that's pretty harsh. That's a pretty tough way of thinking about life. The reason for this, Moses is writing this um, during what's called the, for, the wilderness wanderings. I have a couple of uh, pictures here. Um, the wilderness wanderings, up on, on the left is um, uh, an artist, a 17th century artist depiction of the, the children of Israel. They've escaped from Egypt, but then they, they make God mad, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to make you wander around. I'm not going to let you into the promised land. So they, they, they go, they just wander through the desert for years and years and years. And this is when this prayer is written, during this time of this, this searching and wandering. And they're just weary because all they see is dust and rock, no water. They're constantly hungry. There's no, there's no exciting food for them to have. It's just days and days of grinding it out on the trail over and over and over. And, and, and they're sitting there going, hey, is this ever going to end? God, maybe it doesn't matter to you, but for us, we get, this is our one, this is our one family trip to Disneyland. It's never going to happen again. We have 10 days. And so far, the first five, it has been rained out. All the attractions have been shut down. And we're sitting here in the hotel, looking at each other and watching TV. God, couldn't you just make it so that the next five days are, are good? This is our one shot. Uh, on the right, uh, we looked at this picture a few weeks ago. This is uh, from a Jewish um, German artist from the 19th century. And it's depicting uh, a thousand years after the wandering in Israel, the Jews are again suffering. They're in Babylon. They're exiled. And they're lost. And they miss their homes. And they're, sitting, and they're getting old. They were young when they were carted off to Babylon. But they've been sitting there waiting. And they're waiting. And they're waiting like, God, when are you going to relent? God, it may not matter to you, but this is our only shot. Wouldn't, won't you just give us one chance to have a great chance to see our home? to have those days and days of the day we always dreamed about. Um, that's a, yeah, the bottom line, and this is the next thing in your note sheets, is that um, there are people who live their entire lives without seeing God's material blessings. And by material blessings, I mean his, his peace and security, his shalom. You know, that's weird for us. We, we expect, we expect that our lives are going to be basically awesome. And when they're not, we kind of get angry. These are people whose entire experience of life is in the desert. 
literally in this case. Go back to the text. If only we knew the power of your anger or could live in proper awe of your wrath. As we count our days, show us how to have that knowledge and awe so that we can gain a wise understanding. You guys know preppers? Are you familiar with the term preppers? Well, I have a picture of some preppers. This is, um, what's, I think his name is Prepper Joe. He has a prepper blog. So he's, that, that's his family, and uh, he's, he's showing you exactly uh, what you need in order to survive, you know, um, a, a cataclysmic event. Like if the zombie apocalypse hits, or if there's, oh yeah, let's laugh at these, these poor benighted souls. Uh, or if there's a civil war, uh, the government, the black ho- helicopters come. This guy is ready to go, and he's gonna, he has a bunker in his uh, backyard, and he knows how to survive for years if things go really bad. Now, of course, we laugh at at these crazy people uh, because we know that nothing like that could ever happen here in the United States of America. We live in, uh, you know, the most prosperous society of of all time. We have material wealth that is beyond anything we can possibly imagine. In fact, if you think about the things we complain about, they show you that we have more than any other human beings have ever had in history. Now, think about this. It's front-page news when, like, we're trying to figure out who goes into what bathroom. Okay? That's, That's... that is not the same deal as I'm starving to death or there's a war, right? That's it's different, different stuff. So we look at people like the preppers and we're like, ah, oh, you crazy nut jobs. Um, there's this guy, he's a, he's a hydrologist, which is, um, he's a consultant for insurance companies. And, and he, did, uh, he did some math. What his job is normally is he, he um, an insurance company says, hey, we want to maybe give, or a bank or whatever, we're going to give a 30-year mortgage uh, loan to this family for this, this property. And they want flood insurance. How much should we charge? And so his job is to look and say, over you know, every 30-year period, um, as long as we have records, you know, how many times was there a flood and how many times did the flood damage uh, property? And then he comes up with a mathematical equation to say, well, the chances in this 30-year period of a flood is something like 26%. If you, you know, divide that over this many people, then you should charge him this much a month. He did the same thing for, uh, for like, cataclysms and cat- catastrophes in the United States. This is cool. I have his uh, work up here. This is great. He's like, what's the chance that there's going to be a civil war during your lifetime? Well, let's see. Uh, the United States has been around, I mean, the colonies since about 1678. Uh, it's 2018. That's 340 years. Have we ever had anything crazy like that? Well, yes, we have. Two, in fact. Once a revolution against the, uh, uh, the, the United Kingdom, and, and then uh, again a civil war in which um, 640,000 Americans died. Uh, and the average life expectancy of a human being in the United States of America right now is 78.7 years. If you crunch the numbers and see what the likelihood is, it, it turns out, that you have a 37% chance of living through a revolution. Who's the idiot now? I bring this up because um, the, what Moses is saying is he's saying, he's saying God, um, you know, what's weird is we look at Moses and we're like, oh, that could never happen. It's not real. Actually, that's like the norm for human experience. Imagine that you, I don't know, were born in Russia in like 1919. <laughs> Imagine that you were born in China, in China in about 19, 
1943. <laughs> Imagine that you were born uh, in Cambodia right before the Khmer Rouge took power. <laughs> Imagine that you were born in Africa almost uh, at any time in the last century. It, we live in a world that is constantly beset by war and disaster. It's at, we're the ones who are weird. The preppers are the only sane people out there. Because we're so used to what is actually a phenomenal blessing. This is sort of an aside, but it is the next thing in your note sheets. Um, that uh, in the grand scheme of things, peace and security are not the norm. What we have is an incredible blessing. The norm is actually the life of Moses. It's wandering in the wilderness. The norm for human experience is being in exile in Babylon. The norm for human experience is living through the cultural revolution. The norm for the human experience is the civil war. The norm for, the, uh, the norm for human experience is cataclysm and death. And somehow, we're supposed to come to God in the midst of that. I want to finish up the text. So you can see Moses, he's like, God, time, you don't get it. We're miserable. Here's the, here's the bottom line, God. Come back, Yahweh. Please return. Have compassion on us. Fill us in the morning with your faithful love. That's his hesed. The idea being that every day we want to wake up, instead of being in the wilderness and drudgery, we want to be in a place where we're filled with life and we have opportunities. If you do that, we're never going to stop praising. We will forget because we've had so many years of misery. Make us happy for the same amount of time we were sad. And ultimately, may your beauty come over us. It's an interesting phrase. It really, it's like the, 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 what makes God glorious and beautiful is his special ordering and protection of the world. Can we have that again, please? Can we live in a place, God, again, where the work of our hands doesn't just fade away into, into nothingness? Can we please get to see the prosper, prosperity and lasting value? The bad news for Moses in that generation is the answer was no. The same thing happened to the first generation exiled in Babylon. The answer was no. That part about um, counting your days and, and getting a wise heart, the idea is if you could understand God's character and you understood the, why he's so angry and really understood how offended he is, you'd actually start to, it would make sense why your trip to Disneyland got rained out. Ugh. Well, remember the question. Who exactly are we praying to? What kind of God is God? What does Moses assume God's character is like? How is Moses approaching God? What is it, like, if you were going to sort of pray this way, we can't pray this prayer. I mean, number one, we've, now Jesus has come. God knows. He's been human. He's been flesh. He knows what it's like to be us. So we can't have that complaint anymore. Um, and, and moreover, we actually do live in a time of incredible prosperity. We're not sitting around going, God, please bring back the good times. I, um, well, yeah, let's go to, um, do you know the difference between a father and a dad? My, my, my dad is upset with me because some, somewhere along the last 10 years, I started calling him father. This was to be ironic, right? Because, um, a father is like, do we not have the father one? Is that there? Yeah, there it is. Father, dad. 
Yeah, you Google it. See what you get. Um, so, yeah, in my, in my, in my early teens and, and my teens and into my 20s, my dad was a father. He was like, you're useless. Get a job. I'm like, never. I'm going to grad school. <laughs> Helen, feel me. She's right there. She's about to pull the trigger. I love it. Hey, what's another 100000 in debt? Um, and, and, and so, but after that, after I sort of, you know, I, I'll be honest, right now, uh, I think my dad's surfer dad. He's, he's honestly kind of like my best friend. I love him. I've been fortunate. A lot of people here, I know a lot of you have come from places where you didn't have a great relationship with your dad. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's, that's really hard. And it, it really does impact the way we see who God is since, you know, God's father or whatever. Um, but I started bothering my dad by calling him father. It was ironic, like, because we're buddies. And I'm like, father, you know. And now he's actually bothered by it. He's like, can you call me dad again? <laughs> like, sure, dad. But it's like a habit now, so I'm like, uh, dad. <laughs> um, I remember uh, when I was 16, um, dad was definitely father. But he was still dad. He was both. He was a father dad. He was father on the one hand, stern, you know, like, this is how it's got to be. But he's also dad. Tom, I appreciate you and love you. When I was 16, uh, back, in, back in the old days, when you turned 16, you got your driver's license as fast as you could uh, because you needed freedom. I noticed in the about mid-2000s, these kids are like, oh, man, I don't need my, uh, I don't need my license. I'm like, really? I'm like, oh, yeah, dude, my parents will drive me wherever I want. Now, it's not entirely y'all's fault because I know that, like, they got these laws where it's like, you're 16, you can't have another, you know, 16-year-old in the car with you. That's stupid. Um, And it ruins childhood, but whatever. (laughs) I remember when I was 16, uh, the coolest thing in the world was my dad's 92 Mustang convertible. It's a 5.0, 5-liter engine, had a convertible top. Uh, It was silver. Uh, black top, black interior. Had a 10-disc changer in the, uh, in the trunk. Yeah. You could fit the whole Pearl Jam catalog. It was sweet. Um, and I was like, if I wanted something from my dad, I was a pretty sharp guy. I wasn't an idiot. And so I, I, I knew that I had to treat him both as father and his dad. I had to appeal to him um, both as his, you know, authority and respect, but also in, in terms of, hey, he loves me and he wants good things for me, right? So this is what I would do. I, do we have, um, we have some, some stuff about uh, getting things from father-dad? This is my strategy, getting things from a father-dad. Number one, start with respect. Sir, I am so appreciative of the hard work that you put in day in and day out to make sure that we're provided for. And boy, you've done a great job keeping up that 92 Mustang. All those, all those weekends of, uh, of buffing it have really paid off. The thing's aged well. And you have too, may I say. Uh, so I, so start, you know, start with respect and then move on to Hey, Dad, you don't know what it's like. I mean, you're pretty old, so you don't remember what it was like to be 16. 
and to need to get away to be with your friends to watch a movie and to not be able to do that because you don't have a, you don't have a car. And Dad, if you could just try to cast back or try to just imagine being me, you would see how awful this is to be trapped in the house with you and Mom. <laughs> when there's a new Austin Powers movie, I really want to see. Then we move on. Look, I get it. I probably shouldn't have been going 93 and a 65. But the engine's so powerful. And when, you, and when you took this privilege away, it cut me to the core. I get it. You know what? You were right. I, and and, and I, I should be grounded away from, from the car. And, 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 and time served. God, Dad, come on. God, Father, Father, God, Dad. Yeah, you can see where this is going. That, that, that ticket, I got, that was over two weeks ago. I think, I think now, by, by now, I've understood what you, where, where you're coming from. And I think, and, and I, boy, do I respect you. And I'm really hopeful that, um, that we can, you know, just move past this. Next step. Boy. Remember during tax season? Five years ago, we took the old 92 Mustang out to Lone Pine. We saw the Alabama Hills and saw a picture of Jack Palance in one of the hotels where we watched Darby O'Gill and the Little People starring Sean Connery when he was 24 years old. (laughs) What a wonderful time we had, Dad. Don't you want to have those times again? Last but not least, I love you. You're great. I want you to think about it. If you just took this five-step plan to getting my dad's 92 Mustang when I was 16 years old, if you just put that right on top of Psalm 90, that is exactly how Moses approaches God. He, he, he's like, it's as though God really is his father, dad, his dad father. It's like, we, we say this over and over, God is our Father. In fact, this is why Jesus made such an important point out of calling God Father and, and Abba Daddy and saying, God is your Father. Because it is the easiest thing in the world for us to forget this and make God out to be something he's not. Well, he might be those things. But what he primarily is, is your dad. Your father dad. A good dad. We actually have a problem with this, not only because so many of us have grown up in situations where we either don't respect or um, have really bad experiences with, with, with dads and fathers. Um, that's endemic to our culture. And so it becomes even more difficult for us to imagine what a great daddy's like. And yet, even those of us who had uh, amazing dads, like, do, do we really approach God this way? Or do we kind of, he's like, he's more like king father. Like, gracious Lord. You are mighty and powerful. Okay, I get it. That's kind of the respect part, sure. But do, do we ever get to that, like, intimate, like, hey, remember when my faith was new and just being with you was great? Man, I'd love that again. God, I don't know where you've been, but uh, right now I'm in a really horrible place. 
And, and sometimes it just doesn't feel like you can relate. It's, you know, it's been a long time since the incarnation. Maybe you've almost forgotten what it's like to be in a place of dark anxiety or depression or fear. Maybe you've just forgotten how it feels to be me. Look, God, I get it. I get it. I messed up. Things didn't go right. You made your point. Daddy, I love you. It's really, really hard for human beings to actually treat God like a good father dad. We either want to make him a king or we want to make him our buddy or we want to make him all these different things. But to have a really great dad, well, that's who he is. So if you're a person who's, you know, not like prayer is weird for you, try this. Imagine what it would be like if God was a really great dad and just talk to him. Say what you'd say to a really great dad. If you've been in church and you've been here for a, you know, a long time and you're used to honoring God and you, you want to, take a step back and the next time you pray, stop and, and just imagine God being a really good dad watching you. And just try talking to him like that. And always, always, always end with, I love you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Dad, you are awesome. You are great. You really do deserve all the respect and and the honor and the majesty and the glory that we can give. You're that good. God, be, be faithful to us. Think, remember us. Remember what it's like to be us, to be finite, to be weak. God, don't give up on us, please. Instead, be with us. Remember us. Lord, let us remember too that you are our father and our dad. That we can come to you as children. That we can just talk to you because you really are there and you really do care. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.